You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Okay, so I'm excited tonight because uh, I get to talk about being a pastor, which is obviously something exciting to me. Uh, One reason is because this is, I mean, we could say it's a coincidence, but I don't think it is because I could have picked any book of the Bible to teach and we could be any place in that book tonight. But tonight we're at 1 Peter chapter 5 at the start of it, where it talks about what elders slash pastors slash shepherds are supposed to be doing. And I am going to be starting uh, next week, officially my first week, as a full-time pastor. And I'm very thankful to God that I got to study this in depth before I started that. That's just, you know, that it could be a coincidence, but I don't think so. I think that's just the way that God works out, that we happen to be here tonight as I'm going into that next week. So I'm excited because I'm, I get to learn a lot, and uh, I hope other people do too, but I always think any sermon... That's good. Whenever you teach something, you learn it better than if you just listen. So I always hope I'm the one who gets the most out of the sermons than anyone else because I'm studying it and learning it and I want to live it out. Now, especially tonight, this is most applicable probably to me, but it is to everybody because it brings everyone into it toward the end of it. So it's a lot about what pastors do, what exactly they are supposed to be doing. So I'm excited about that. We're, I decided to start this with uh, just looking up statistics, because I like statistics, it's a fun way to start, and some statistics about pastors, because there's been some research on, on pastors lately and what they feel like, how they're doing their jobs and stuff like that. So let me first just give us some statistics, and then we'll, we'll jump into First Peter. And there's, uh, first of all, I read an article by Tom Rainier, which is an article on research done by a group called Pew Research, and they did this in 2016. And they asked people, what's most important to you when choosing a church? And there was a bunch of choices. They're allowed to pick as many as they wanted. And then they brought all that together. And here's what they came up with. That the number one thing to people that's most important when choosing a church, 83% of people said this was important. Is number one is the quality of the sermons. So, okay, good luck to me. Uh, number two is, with 79% said it's important, is feeling welcomed by leaders. Yeah, I'm not good at that. And number three is the style of service, whether that's contemporary or traditional. And then then it goes on down the list. Number four is the location of the church. Number five is the children's ministry. Number six is friends and family. And number seven, I just thought I'd go down to here because number seven is an opportunity to serve. I'm glad that made the list, but that was number seven on why someone would choose a church. But the, the point there is the top three are directly or indirectly related to the pastor and the elders. Quality of sermons, welcomed by leaders, and the style of the service, which is usually picked by the leaders. Uh, The same guy, Tom Rainier, 
also talked about a study that they differentiated people. That was a, the church group. Why do they, what do they think is important to picking a church? They also asked non-churched people, they called them, people who don't go to church very often. And what they said was even uh, more so about the pastor. 90% of people put that, of non-church people put that on why they would choose a church is the pastor or the preaching. So 90%. Also, so the, the flip side of that, so that shows just to say the pastor is an important part of why people choose a church for better or for worse. That's just what the statistics say. On the flip side, the study by Lifeway found that 37% of the time why someone leaves a church is because of the pastor. So that's even on the flip side of it, why someone leaves is a pretty big number, about a third, a little more than a third of people leave a church because of the pastor. So there's an other studies that I looked into, one, this one by churchleadership.org, which they did in 2016. Now, there's a lot of numbers here. Before I go into that, what, what I thought was revealing about this study is it kind of shows the pastor's mindset as a whole across America. And it was a very, a very important study because there was an old study from the 90s, the, I think it was the early 90s, that didn't make it sound so good. It made it sound like pastors are all... Uh, depressed and cheating on their wives and like uh, underpaid and and that it was the worst position to be in their families were were terrible and those are somewhat misleading when they redid the study a couple years ago it's not that bad the, a lot of the reasons for those numbers is because it was a very wide base they looked at in that study about 20 30 years ago which included a lot of the churches that now have kind of skewed from biblical uh, traditional biblical teachings like mainline Protestantism and stuff. So, I mean, there, there's a lot that goes into that. But this study showed that it's not so bad. It's not as bad as it, people may think because those numbers got tossed around and made it sound like all pastors are very depressed. So in this newer study found of evangelical pastors that 57% of pastors say they're happy, which isn't, you know, a ton, but it's over half. But 43%, the other half of that, are either stressed, fatigued, or burnt out. 54% of pastors work over 50 hours a week. 18% work more than 70 hours a week. That's a pretty big number, working a lot of hours. 57% of pastors say they're on a tight budget or have to work a second job. And they said the three biggest challenges are, number one, finding volunteers. Number two, leading people through change. And number three, developing leaders. So that's kind of the, the negative side or the, or the downside of the pastor mentality across evangelical Christianity in America. Now, the other side, that, that's a little more positive. 78% say they're happy with their calling. They wouldn't choose a different job. 50% pray more than one hour per day. That's a good sign. Less than 3% of pastors have had sex with a church member besides their wife. Yeah. Now, that, that number, the reason why I say that, it's still too high. Yeah, it's still too high. It should be, should be 0%, but it's not the numbers that sometimes get thrown around that, you know, all pastors are unfaithful and stuff. It's 3%, which, again, still too high, but, but there's that. 85% say that Jesus' life and death and resurrection are central to their teaching, which still should be higher, but 85% is a good number for that. 88% of pastors say they're treated well by their congregation. That was pretty good. 72% of pastors 
spend more than an hour per day in spiritual growth outside of sermon preparation. 45% of pastors spend 10 to 15 hours per week in sermon preparation. So, here, I mean, here's the point. Here's the point in all those numbers that, well, there's a lot that's expected of pastors. Those first numbers show the pastor is a very important thing in why people choose a church and also pretty important in why people leave a church. The other set of numbers show, for the most part, I think it looks like pastors are doing a good job. I mean, that's, most of them are spending multiple hours a day in prayer, growing their own spirituality outside of sermon preparation, putting in 50 to 70 hours a week, the, the vast majority of pastors. I mean, they're doing a good job. But here's kind of the problem. As we look into 1 Peter chapter 5, I, I want to put this in context, so I'm going to have to step back a minute and kind of bring this all together with the statistics and all that. Well, the end of chapter 4 of 1 Peter says this, in 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And what Peter was alluding to with that was from Ezekiel 9, where Ezekiel had a vision of uh, God's judgment beginning with the temple and then spreading out through Jerusalem. And Peter's recalling that, saying, this church that Peter's writing to, or these churches that he's writing to, they're having a tough time. They are, for the most part, Gentiles, which means they do not have a Jewish background. They probably had a pagan background. They were worshiping idols and false gods. And then they find, the, find out the truth about Jesus. They repent, turn from their sin, turn to Jesus, and now they're Christians. And it looks like their life got a lot worse. And now they're suffering persecution they're losing jobs. They're losing social standing. Some are thrown into jail. At this point when Peter wrote this, which is probably in the 60s AD, empire-wide persecution probably hadn't started yet, but small local persecution had. And these guys were in a, a tough time. And Peter was writing to encourage them in a, in a very weird way, saying how it's time for judgment to begin at the house of God. The next thing... Peter brings up is he talks about the pastors, the elders of the church. What's their job in this difficult time? How do they help people through this difficult time? And even as we look at that today, I mean, there's hard times now. It's not the persecution that they were facing, but I think most churches, it's pretty hard in church because this is where a lot of times, hopefully, I mean, it's a bad thing to say, but hopefully people are being spiritually attacked that are coming to church. Because if they're not, they're probably not doing anything. If a church is not being spiritually attacked, there's probably nothing happening in that church. And so church can be a pretty rough place. And how do pastors lead people through that? How, what's their responsibility in that tough time? And so here's kind of the problem. There's a lot that's put on to pastors that's unbiblical. That isn't really what the Bible asks pastors to do. At the same time, there's a lot that pastors are not doing that is biblical, which is what they should be doing in these difficult times. And to me, it comes down to, and hopefully not just to me, the, the Bible is on my side, I think, that it's doing the right thing for the right reason. And that's what pastors need to be doing, the right things for the right reasons. That to God, motive is important. Doing the wrong thing for the right reason, that's a sin. Doing the right thing for the wrong reason, that's also a sin. The right thing for the right reason. Now here's what a lot of people get mixed up in, is the feelings. Feelings, from what my reading of the Bible, are kind of irrelevant as far as moving forward with Jesus. It's not about the feelings, because I'm thinking of, I'm probably going farther in this than I need to, but I want to set up the problem here. 
There's an episode of Friends that I haven't watched recently, so I can't get too deep on it. But they're having this debate about, can you do a good deed unselfishly? And I think it was Ross said you couldn't. That if you did something nice for someone, you would get a good feeling, which makes it selfish. So it was impossible to do a selfless good deed. And Phoebe was trying to prove, no, you can do a selfless good deed. And I think we get wrapped up in that kind of thinking, at least I do, where we have to have the right feelings about things. But it's not about that for pastors and for everyone else. It's not about the right feeling. It's doing the right thing for the right reasons. The feelings are kind of irrelevant. So Peter here brings us into where we're judgment beginning with the house of God. Tough times here. What do the leaders do with that? What exactly biblically is asked of that? And that's a big setup, but it's important to understand what Peter is getting at with this. There's a lot that's made, I think, about the qualifications for pastor. You find those in 1 Timothy and Titus. I don't hear as much about what do pastors actually do? What are they supposed to do biblically? And what biblically is not part of their their duties? And that's 1 Peter 5 is where we find that. So we're going to see that. We're going to see who he's talking to, the elders slash pastors slash shepherds, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it, why they're supposed to do it, and then how we all you know, are involved in that. Because this is, again, I'm probably the number one recipient of the message, but it's going to apply to everyone, so make sure you're paying attention. Plus, you've got to hold me accountable to this. So let's look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. What's a pastor supposed to do is pretty much what it gets at. It says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so there's the word of God. Peter writing to the pastors specifically in this church, or as he calls them the elders, shepherds. It's all the same word. Pastor is not in the Bible. It's translated it from Latin. It's complicated, but same thing. So verse 1 makes it clear who Peter is addressing. As the people are going through a very difficult time, he has a special word to the pastors. The elders who are among you I exhort. Again, elder, pastor, shepherd, same idea. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So before Peter tells pastors what they're supposed to do, there's an important point he makes here that I think is important that can kind of is implied here. So Peter's a fellow elder. He's a fellow pastor. He's also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter was an eyewitness to Jesus' crucifixion. And he's a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, as we are. If we're born-again Christians, if we've turned from our sin, turned to Jesus, we will be part of the glory that will be revealed as Jesus comes back to set this world right. We're all a partaker of that. We have a deep fellowship in that. Which the implied point here, who he's talking to, is pastors. But he makes the point to say he has a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus a witness to his sufferings, a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. And why this is important 
if we think about it, and I've read studies on this and seen the research, here's one of the problems happening in churches today throughout the country is this idea. So you're in church. Congratulations. You're a Christian. You're going to heaven. Not necessarily. No, he says no. He's right. They know. But a lot of times that's kind of what's preached. Like, okay, we're all going to heaven together, but not necessarily. It's very possible to go to church for decades and never be told you're a sinner who is eternally guilty of condemnation. And you get out of that by repenting, turning from your sin, turning to Jesus, not just saying, I'm sorry, I'll try harder, but saying, I'm sorry, I can't do it on my own. Jesus, you paid for my sin. I will follow you. You can go to church for a long time without hearing that sometimes. And here's the problem with that. Let's say you've been going to church for a long time. You think you're a Christian because that's what you hear. Oh, I go to church. Well, then you've been going there for a while. Now all of a sudden you become a leader. You're in charge of a ministry. You become an elder. You might even become a pastor. And this isn't far-fetched. It's actually very common. This is one of the reasons why a lot of churches have become, have skewed from the Bible. A lot of the mainline Protestantism and, and those types of churches, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them have skewed from the Bible. So first of all, for example, just the idea of women pastors is not biblical, but a lot of churches say that's okay. And it, it, that's, I don't want to pick on that at all. I don't even know if I should have brought that up because it's a side point. But the point is that if you just think you're a Christian, you become part of the leadership, you might even become an elder or a pastor and not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, that's a reason for a lot of the problem in the church today. So it's important. Peter brings up this point from the start. He's exhorting the elders. He's a fellow elder who has a relationship with Jesus. He hasn't just been going to church for a long time and been raised that way, and now he's in charge. He has a relationship with Jesus. It's important. So then, that's who he's addressing. Then he says what they're supposed to do. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. That's what he tells the elders to do. Two things. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And secondly, serve as overseers. So I'm going to take a minute and talk about shepherding the flock of God which is among you. Because, number one, I'm, t- I'm talking to myself a lot here. I want to make sure I know what I'm doing uh, biblically. But also, we're going to... I'll just say that for a minute. I'm just going to say that up front. So shepherd the flock of God which is among you. I looked into this because I took for a long time, kind of took for granted what that means, this idea of a shepherd. Because I'm not a shepherd. I don't know any shepherds personally. My agricultural experience is very limited. You can... I'm not wearing any uh, flannel or Carhartt vest or anything like that. I have very limited agriculturally. My experience is one summer after I was a 10th grader in high school, I got in trouble with drugs and bad friends. And and so I got out of town for a while and worked on my uncle's ranch for a summer. And I wasn't very good at it. I didn't make a career out of it. That's my agricultural experience. And I think a lot of us might be in, in a similar thing. Anyone a shepherd? No shepherds. Okay. So I looked into what, what shepherds are, because if you did, you could help me out. But here's what I found out about shepherds. A lot of it, I kind of, okay, yeah, shepherds, they lead sheep. They take care of sheep. But there's a lot more to it that the original audience would have got. It wouldn't have been an obscure thing. So I looked in. What did shepherds actually do? First of all, the pastors here, the elders, they're the under-shepherd. Look at verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So the chief shepherd is Jesus. 
And this is why, okay, even if you don't really care about me, which is fine, and my little message tonight of talking to myself about pastoring, Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. So anything we learn about shepherds applies to Jesus also, which is the number one. I said I was saving that. Here's where I'm saving it for. That's the most important thing about this because I don't have to be your shepherd. That's your choice. They might be listening on the radio. You're not my flock. I'm not your shepherd. But Jesus is everyone's shepherd. And it's so comforting to me to know what a good shepherd does. And here's what a shepherd does. They feed their sheep. And shepherds would, there's two types of food they would feed their sheep, which the Bible talks about. They feed their sheep milk, and they feed them solid food. Sheep need both. And shepherds would make sure they got it. Whatever the sheep needed, shepherds would make sure. If they needed milk, they get them the milk. If they need solid food, they get them solid food. The Bible talks about the milk kind of being the Christianity 101, the gospel. The idea that we're sinners, we cannot pay our price, but Jesus did, and we receive that by faith. That's the milk, the pure milk of the word. It says it in 1 Peter earlier, I think in chapter 2, that sometimes we need to be fed milk. But there's also a point, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that Paul makes the point, don't just stay with milk. It might be Hebrews. Somewhere in there. It's in the Bible, trust me. Uh, you can read it. That don't, you can't just have a diet of milk your entire life. That sheep also need to be fed solid food or they're not going to grow up. And that's the sanctification, the discipleship, growing closer with Jesus, the, the deeper things of the Bible. Yeah, the milk is great. And I'm not downgrading the milk at all. I love the gospel. But the shepherd makes sure the sheep get milk and solid food. And now as, as I'm saying these things, I don't want to give the idea that I do all these. I'm just saying what the Bible says. And I want you to help me out. That's one of the points here. I'll get more into that later. But I want to make sure as a shepherd that the people get milk and solid food. That's not just the same thing over and over. And shepherds had a plan for this based off of the seasons. They had to make sure the sheep got food no matter what season it was. Shepherds also had to water their sheep. And this is an interesting point to me, that the best thing for sheep is running water. Fresh water flowing from a stream. The problem is, though, sheep are afraid of running water. They don't want to get close to it. And I think that's already a pretty deep point. It's just, just like us, right? What's best for us is kind of what scares us. What's best for us is trusting God, fearing not, but, you know, we're scared. So what a shepherd will do, what a good shepherd does, is will lead them to still water. Like it says in Psalm 23, he'll lead the sheep to the still water because they're not afraid of it. They still need to drink, so the still water would be in a well, and it would be covered with a rock, and the shepherd would move the rock so they could get to it. A good shepherd will take stuff out of the way, the things blocking our hearts so that we can get the water of the Holy Spirit. And this is what pastors do, but bigger than that, that's what Jesus does. He tears down our walls and gets to our hearts, turns our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Shepherds have to groom their sheep. They have to stay clean. I guess they get a lot of stuff in their fluffy little fur uh, to keep them nice and white. They, they get a lot of junk in there. So shepherds had to help them. They had to take an interest in each individual sheep and make sure that that sheep stayed clean. And as a pastor, as a shepherd, or what Jesus, the chief shepherd, 
to help us stay clean from the filthiness of the world, to be disciples, to encourage people to be discipled and make disciples and grow closer to Jesus. That grooming part, it's not always the prettiest part of it. I think of the monkeys like picking the bugs out of each other. It's not always the nicest part, but that's what shepherds do. They do the dirty work like that because they care about their sheep. Part of the grooming involves shearing. Good shepherds would shear the sheep, cut off their wool. It doesn't hurt the sheep, and it's actually bad for the sheep to get too much wool, but they don't always like getting sheared. You have to wrangle them up. You have to notice that they're getting too much wool, and then shoomp. And that's part of what shepherds do. See, I think of it being puffed up. That's what the wool does. And that's the whole grooming and shearing part. It's not always pleasant. It's that dirty work. And a good shepherd is going to do that. That's what Jesus does with us. He doesn't let us get away with our sin and pride. He'll convict us if we're following him. That's what a good pastor will do, is do that dirty work. A good shepherd delivers new lambs. It helps new lambs get born into the world. I think that's a pretty uh, obvious spiritual truth. I don't know if I have time to go deep into each one of these things, but good shepherds will bring new lambs into the world, help people to do that because we need to be born again. Good shepherds have knowledge of each sheep. That a good shepherd would know each sheep in his flock. And that flock was important to him. And that's why Jesus talks about the, if there's a hundred sheep and the 99 are there and the one goes missing, the good shepherd's going to go out to get that one sheep because he cares about each sheep in his flock. A lot of the sheep, uh, shepherds would name them. They give them names. And when they came into the sheepfold, they had a rod. Shepherds usually had two tools, a rod and a staff, like the, the crooked one to kind of harness them in, and then a rod just for whatever else. One of the purposes, they, just because I don't know, one thing they used it for is to count the sheep as they came in. And sometimes they would put like a, some sort of ink or painting on the rod to mark them with their color so they know that's my flock and they're going to only care about that one see the shepherd's not going to go out for someone else's sheep but for his own he cares about them and like i said i'm not saying that no i'm just going to save it because i also say it a hundred times i'll get to it i'm just saying what a good shepherd does i'm not saying i'm a good shepherd a good shepherd also leads the sheep this might be the biggest thing that i learned studying into this which is why it's so important for me is I had this idea that it's like cattle. That's my agricultural experience. I worked on a ranch with cows, not with sheep. And <clears throat> cows are really dumb. And I always wondered this, even as a kid. Because I would, I would go out to my uncle's ranch, even as a little kid. And, and I would be just this little kid. And he would tell me they were trying to move the cows from one pasture to the other. And I didn't do any of the hard work because I was a little kid. But he would drive them with the four-wheeler or whatever. And he said, just to involve me, stand right here. And if a cow comes towards you, you scream at them and scare them in that direction. And they would, even as a little kid. I was just like a six-year-old kid. And I would scream at the cow. And they would run away. And I was, how dumb is that? That cow could kill me easily. And even as a teenager, when I would help move the cattle that summer, I, I wasn't this big, tough teenager kid. A cow still could easily kill me. But all you have to do is like, ah! And then the cows will run away, even how big they are. That's how cows work. That's not how sheep are. The sheep are different. 
Sheep can't be driven. Sheep are led. They're a different animal. A, a shepherd goes in front of his flock and doesn't scream at them to get them moving. He goes in front and shows them where to go. He shows them how to get there. He leads them to the still water, like Psalm 23. That's the Lord is my shepherd. So he leads the sheep. He doesn't yell at them and drive them from behind like cows. He goes in front and leads them. That was pretty eye-opening to me. And the way that he would do it is that a shepherd had his own call. He had his own little like instrument to call the sheep. I don't know how it sounds. That's my best guess. That would call the sheep, and the sheep would learn that sound. They would know that's my shepherd's call. And when he called, those sheep would be trained to come to him. And they would know his voice. And that's why Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. Because that's true. Sheep would learn the voice of their shepherd. They would learn his call. And when he called them, he would go first and they followed him. That's how you lead sheep. That's what shepherds do. They lead. Another thing shepherds do is they look for wandering sheep. Because sheep are prone to wander. They don't have any sense of direction. They get lost really easily. So, and since the shepherd knows each sheep in his flock, and he knows one is missing, or even some, he'll round them up. They're going to wander. And that's, again, that's us. We're wandering sheep. That's why Jesus used that illustration to say, we're the sheep that got lost. He went out to find us, because that's what shepherds had to do. When the sheep was gone, the shepherd had to go and find him. The sheep can't make his way back on his own. He has no idea which way to go. So a good shepherd goes out to get him. I learned another time from a, a guy I knew, I don't even know his name, I just talked to him a couple times, who was a shepherd in uh, Europe. And he talked about kind of a deeper insight on this. When there was a especially wandering sheep, when he had to go out and get that sheep over and over, one of the things that shepherds would do is break the legs of that sheep, the one that keeps wandering. Because what well, was really hard for the shepherd to do that, a cute little lamb breaking his legs, but the reason why they did that is because that taught the sheep something. It taught him or her, what, I don't know what gender the sheep, don't assume the gender. It, it taught the sheep to rely on the shepherd. Because when the shepherd went out to get that sheep and broke its legs and put it on its back and walked him back, the sheep learned, I, can, I need to stay close to this one. And it would be a, a teaching that was very painful for the shepherd. And so as we are wandering sheep because of our sin, following after our, our lusts and our passions and our sinful desires and the temptations from the enemy and all that, and we wander, and Jesus tells us, because he's the chief shepherd, he goes out to get us and he brings us back. Sometimes we have to get broken. But he brings us back. He's a good shepherd. And shepherds also guard and protect their sheep. At the end of each day, the shepherd, you know, the sheep would be out grazing and eating. And at the end of the day, the shepherd would bring the sheep back into the sheepfold. Some were more constructed. Some were just kind of like an enclosure in rocks. And there would be a door into the sheepfold. And the shepherd would bring them in. That's why Jesus says he's the door of the sheepfold, because that's how the sheep would get in, to safety. And a good shepherd would sleep in the sheepfold with the sheep to make sure the thieves and robbers didn't get in, that the wolves didn't get in. And if they did, the shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. 
And that's why Jesus talks about that so much, that he is the door. He is the good shepherd. Others come in to kill and destroy. Wolves come in. Thieves come in. Robbers come in. But Jesus laid down his life for the sheep that wander and are helpless and need to be led. But Jesus says he's, he's the good shepherd, and he protects us. And that's what shepherds do. And to me, that was really helpful to look in, especially you know, moving into this next part of my life, full-time pastoring. And the Bible all, talks about elders being shepherds. He says right there, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. That's what a shepherd does. And that's what I need to learn. That's what I need to do. That's what you need to hold me accountable to do. But here's, here's the next part it says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And it was the, the shepherd's flock is the one that he cared about. He didn't care about all the sheep in the entire world. It was his flock that he had special attention to. So you need to be part of a flock. Where you're committed, where the shepherd, the elder, the pastor knows you're a part of that flock. So he knows that we're all in this together. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. And the next part, serving as overseers, which is an interesting parallel. We'll get more into that. Serving is the bottom. Overseer is kind of looking over. So how does... How does that look? I mean, I said a lot of stuff about shepherd, but how does it look with people and practically? And we could go on a long time about this. But here's where I wanted, I asked, not a lot of people, not as many as I should have, but I asked several people in the church as I was preparing for this sermon. I didn't just want to say what I thought because I would say stuff that I already do. And, you know, I'd make myself, hey, I look really good. And I wanted to know what, what do people what do you all think this looks like? And so I asked some people, if you have more, talk to me afterwards, because I want to know. I want to know how to be a good shepherd for the flock. That's, that's my heart in this. So I asked some people, how does it look? Adrian helped me a lot, like she always does with this stuff. Uh, one thing she said was, check in spiritually. I mean, if, if you're the... Now, she didn't say all this. I'm interpreting that. If you're the shepherd of the flock... I got to know how you're doing, or I should want to know. Check in spiritually. And by that, you know what? I, I should talk to you about what is God doing in your life? And what are you learning about God? How are you growing in a deeper relationship with him? And it's not just about small talk. We don't have to come to church to small talk. I know we want to be friends, but to, to do a spiritual check-in, that's something I want to do. In other ways, to know your people. And this is, and I'm not saying I'm good at these things. This is stuff I need to do because already someone I know pretty well. I had to ask what her name was. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not always good at this, but this is something I need to get really good at is knowing people's names and just knowing people, even if they get haircuts and stuff like that, that I can tell who people are and knowing the people in the flock. Biblical preaching, that goes along with the, the feeding. It should come from the Bible, which is what I hope I'm doing. I know I'm expanding on a little bit, but that that's all right, I hope. And sometimes it's confrontational. That's another thing it looks like. That sometimes it's, it's dirty, sometimes it's messy. But a good shepherd isn't going to let sheep just do whatever they want and get themselves in all kinds of trouble. Sometimes it's going to be confrontational. And that's why we'll get into that, that in verse 5, why it's important that I know who wants to be confronted, right? who's part of the flock and, and who's not. Right? I can't just go, you know, someone comes in here the first time, confront them. We have to have an accountability. So before I move to the next point here, just to, to wrap this around Jesus, because that's the most important thing. Again, I don't have to be your shepherd, but Jesus does. 
And earlier Peter said that we were all wandering like sheep and have gone astray, which he was quoting from Isaiah. And then he says, but now we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. He was talking to the people about us returning to the shepherd and overseer of our souls, Jesus. That was earlier in the letter. Look what Peter says here. Shepherd the flock of God, serving as overseers. The same words. So pastors, me, any other pastors who happen to be listening, that's a beautiful challenge and responsibility. The same wording. Peter, I think deliberately, says about Jesus and to the pastors. Not saying we're on the same level, but it's the same wording. That's a beautiful challenge. Church, flock, make sure that I'm doing that. That's my job. So that's what a pastor does. Second thing, it'll go a little quicker now, how a pastor does it. So again, it's the right things for the right reasons. So how a pastor does it. Let's go on. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. The next part says, how do you do it? Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So that says how we do that job. So the first thing he says is not out of compulsion, but willingly. And remember, where Peter is writing this to is a church that's going through a lot of trouble. It's probably not an easy place to be an elder in. I'm guessing. And so when it's, a, when it's very difficult to be somewhere, which it's, we, we've been here like five years, been pretty involved for the past three years, it's difficult to be here, right? And plus people have been here for a long time, it's difficult. Part of the reason is right over there, CSN, there's a huge outreach there. It's difficult. And when it's difficult, you can be somewhere if it's out of compulsion. But Peter's saying, don't do it because you have to. He's making a point out of that. Don't do it because you have to do it, but willingly. Not out of compulsion, but willingly. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't have to leave his eternal throne and come to this earth. He didn't have to live perfectly in our place. He didn't have to die on our behalf. He didn't have to give us salvation, but he did. Not out of compulsion, but willingly. So on the one hand, I'm asking you guys, hold me accountable to this. That I'm not doing stuff because I have to, but because I want to. On the other hand, though, you shouldn't have to twist my arm. I should want to do this or I shouldn't be here. Now I'm going to say, I feel called to it. I'm not going to go into the whole story here, but this is not like I sit out in my life, I need to be a pastor, I'm going to seminary, which is fine. This just all kind of happened. But I know this is the calling, this is the direction God is taking mine and Adrian's lives. So it's not of compulsion, but willingly. Pastors should want to do this work. So again, I talked to a few people. What does this look like if a pastor is serving out of compulsion? Not out of compulsion, but willingly. A few things I heard, like Mark said, uh, one thing, just talk to people, be open with people, being available, call people, give out your number. Hey, that's something, not because you have to, but because you want to talk to people, you want to be involved in people's lives. Hearing that someone is sick and just going out to visit them without being asked, not out of compulsion, but willingly. And this can go for all people, not just pastors. Bringing food when someone's going through a hard time without being asked, not out of compulsion, but willingly, just doing it. Being proactive with discipline, 
before it gets out of hand. If you see a problem going on, to, to do it, not because you have to, but because before it gets out of hand. Right? These are things that pastors should serve, not out of compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, it's not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So I know people make a big deal about megachurch pastors making a bunch of money and stuff. I read the statistics. That's mostly not the case. Most pastors have to work two jobs or stretch the money to make a buy. That, I don't think, mo- I'm not going to say I don't think. I know most pastors aren't in this for dishonest gain. It's not a place to get rich from. But Peter tells the pastors here, the elders, don't do this for dishonest gain, but do it eagerly. There's other ways to get dishonest gain besides money. One thing Adrian pointed out, which I thought was, was important, was butts in the seat. It, to be greedy for that, for dishonest gain, that you just want people in here and not shepherd the flock which is among you, like Peter says to do, like God says to do. And I, that, to me, is really important because here's, here's the truth about it. You know, the, the good answer is I want a lot of people here so that we can all serve each other and there's more people growing closer to Jesus and all that. But the bad answer is when there's more people, I feel better about myself. I feel like I'm doing a good job. But not to be greedy for dishonest gain. And this is my heart moving forward here because people are always wondering, you know, what can we do to make this church bigger? I, I don't care. I want to shepherd the flock of God which is here. I want to make sure you guys are being shepherded well before we worry about butts in the seat. Right? So it's not for dishonest game, but eagerly. This is something that, that I want to do. It has to do with the motive, caring for souls. You can be dishonest gain with ego. I mean, that's part of it. The more people here, the better I'm doing. The more people tell me, oh, great sermon, stuff like that. It's not for dishonest gain. It's eagerly. And the third thing he says, nor is being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. So it's not as a Lord, but as an example. Dustin had something that was very, uh, I'm going to steal his quote on this. And I said I wasn't going to give him credit, but I just did. Is, uh, he said this, go below and beyond. And I was like, wow, that's a kind of a beautiful way to put a lot of what Jesus asked us to do. Because Jesus says things like, I came, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. He says, those who want to be first must become last. Go below and beyond. Not as a Lord, but as an example. So he said, there's all sorts of ways we could look at this. But just doing stuff because it needs to get done. That nothing is beneath you. If something needs to happen, just do it because you're the example. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus did not do anything that he's not asking us to do. Actually, Jesus did more than he's asking us to do. Because Jesus died for us. I haven't died for any of you. You haven't died for any of me. Jesus did more than he's asking us to do. So he's not lording it over us, but he's our example. So that's how we do it. And that's, again, what I want to do. What I'm saying is because, number one, Jesus is our chief shepherd. Number two, you need a a pastor. And number three, I want your help if, if that's what you choose. Okay, and the third point about pastors is, why? The right thing for the, with the right reason. Verse 4. Why do we do this? And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. This is why. Why we do it. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. 
Peter does this a lot in this letter. These guys are suffering. They're having a very hard time. And he keeps telling them, don't be thinking about right now. Think about eternity. Fix your eyes on that. Because Peter's telling the elders in this, these churches that their people are having a hard time. You're doing it so that when Jesus comes back or when you stand before Jesus, he will give you a crown of glory that doesn't fade away. That's the motivation that you need. This is how, even when it's a very difficult assignment or calling, this is how you shepherd a flock with willingness, with eagerness, and by setting an example, by knowing that it's so, because Jesus, he says right here, Jesus is going to give us a crown of glory that does not fade away. But that seems so far away. And that, that's eternity. I mean, what about now? And here's what was helpful for Adrian and I this week. It says in the Bible that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee of eternity. That's like our down payment, that there is a place in God's kingdom for us. So if we're doubting eternity, that's not worth working for. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you know you have a place. And here's how you know. That matters to you. It matters to you that Jesus has a crown waiting for you. It matters to you what Jesus says. It matters to you what what Jesus wants of us. Not because we have to. Not because if we don't do it, he's going to yell at us or whatever. Not because if we do it, he'll let us into heaven. That's not what the Bible says. Because we know he died in our place and he forgave us of everything. So this stuff matters to us. We start to change. We see things differently. We have different beliefs. We love people. We care about people. And if we have God's spirit in us, that is our guarantee. We have a place in eternity. And all of us, not just pastors, but all of us, should be thinking of that crown of glory that doesn't fade away when the chief shepherd appears. So the last point here is verse 5. This brings everyone, all of us into it. What we all do, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. So there's a specific call for younger people to submit to elders. I'll skip that one. No, I'm just, just kidding. It speaks for itself. But look at the next part. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So this is where everyone comes in. And where even if I've just been speaking this whole thing to myself, which I'm very excited about, something I need to do. But this is where we're saying, it's tied in with the the elders and the, the pastors. We submit to each other. You need to be part of a flock. You need a shepherd, a pastor, an elder. And there's the chief shepherd above that. And I think how this ties in is, is we need to find that. Because I know, I mean, it's with the culture we live in, it's not like it was then. There's maybe one church in the whole city. You had to go there. You had to submit to the pastor or the elder, even if you disagreed. Today, who knows? I don't know how many churches are in this town. So you can go church hop. And not really submit anywhere, not be part of a flock. But the idea here is we need to be part of a flock. Because sheep wander. Sheep need to be led. Sheep need to eat. Sheep need to drink. And they don't do it on their own. And so it's very important that we're submitting to each other. 
that you find someone you can submit to. That means, doesn't mean you just agree with everything. It doesn't mean you just say, yeah, great guy. Again, I want you to tell me when I'm doing wrong. But submit means to voluntarily put yourself under someone's authority. It's important that we do that so that there's accountability, so there's all those things we talked about. So I think, I mean, I'll, I'll end with this. Because trying to, trying to put it all together, that's what I, I try to do at the end of this kind of stuff. So all together. And a lot of times, I shouldn't say a lot of times, sometimes I see the best examples of these things outside the church, unfortunately. Which Jesus made that point, by the way, the parable of the Good Samaritan. His point was the Good Samaritan was the, the non-religious guy who was actually helping someone. The religious people just walked by. Right? So sometimes we get the better examples outside the church. I got a really good example of this. And so now as I'm changing life directions, I'm not a teacher anymore. Last Friday was my last day. This Friday is my first day being a full-time pastor. But this kind of hit me. It was really life-changing for me at the beginning of last school year. And I saw this in my old boss there, the principal at the school I worked at. Because I had come back to the school year last year, not sure if... I don't know if I really wanted to do it. We, we were in a very hard position. There's too much going on. I was tr- trying to take shortcuts everywhere. I was taking shortcuts at home, taking shortcuts here, taking shortcuts at the school because I was just too busy. And I was trying to get everything done with the least amount of effort possible. And we were at a meeting before school started, and the principal was just talking. He wasn't making a big deal. I don't even know what his bigger point was. He was talking about something else. But he mentioned very casually, he was after school one day, scrubbing the, the stovetops in the home ec room. And that hit me. It kind of changed me, I hope. I mean, slow process. He could have asked hundreds of people to do that, any of the teachers. It was his right. He was the boss. Hey, scrub those stovetops. He could have asked any of the students. They would have had to do it. But it hit me. That's the one in charge. That's the principal. And he's after school, scrubbing the stovetop in the home ec room, getting all the gunk off of it because someone else didn't do it. And I was thinking about that afterwards. And why would, he, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just ask someone? And I don't know why I didn't ask him. But I think just from knowing him, my guess is he didn't want to ask any of the teachers because he knew we had other stuff to do. He knows that it's busy being a teacher. There's a lot of stuff to get done. See, his idea was to make sure we were all successful so that the school would be successful. And that really hit me. I mean, that's, that's a great boss. That's a great overseer, to use the terms here. And that hit me because that's the way Jesus talks about being a leader. Those who want to be first have to become last. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And it's a completely different style of leadership. And it's that's how Jesus talks about it, and that's how the church is. See, we think a lot of times of leadership being the, from the top down. The boss just tells people what to do, and they have to do it. That's not what Jesus is about. He came to serve. He came to show us. He came to be our example. He died for us. Sometimes we think it's from the bottom up, that the people, we make the decisions, and then the people in charge have to listen to that. But that's not how it is either. Jesus didn't have to come and do all that. The way that... I've thought about it. I probably read it somewhere because I'm sure I didn't think of it on my own. But if you have the hierarchy chart of an organization and the, the president is at the top or the CEO and then you have underneath him the, 
the board of each branch, and then underneath that, and it's kind of like a pyramid or a triangle. The best way I can think of it is that's flipped. It's not top-down, bottom-up. It's that the, the one in charge is making sure everyone else is successful. That seems to, be, to me what makes most sense for how Jesus talks about leadership. That the one who is overseer is the one who is serving the most. The one who is in charge, so to speak, is not in charge, but is making sure everyone else is successful. Whoever wants to lead must serve. Go below and beyond. And that, that's what I want to do. That's my heart here, and I, I just I want to say that going into it. I want to do it, but I'm not good at that. Like It's been a slow process. I need to learn a lot, and I need a lot of help, and I want a lot of help, and, and I want you guys to help me. So please help me. Help me to serve you. If there's anything you think I miss, please let me know. I just, I just want to do a good job at this. I want to make sure we all grow closer to Jesus together. Because I don't think I'm qualified for this. I didn't go to school or anything, but it, it is what it is. Favorite saying. So I, I, I'm here, and I want to do a good job. The best part of all this, though, is that Jesus is the shepherd, the chief shepherd, the shepherd who loves his sheep, who calls the sheep by name and they follow him, who lays down his life for the sheep. So I'm going to, I guess I said I was going to end with this. I just say that because I'm worried you're bored. I'm really going to end with this, Psalm 23. I'm just going to read it, at least the first part about the Lord being our shepherd. Because after I studied all this, it took on new meaning to me. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because a good shepherd makes sure his sheep aren't lacking anything. He gets them food and water. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, because we're afraid of running waters, but God lovingly leads us. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he does it not because the sheep are amazing, but because the shepherd is. It's for his name's sake is why he leads us. Don't forget that. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. As the sheep are going through the scariest place, They're not afraid because their shepherd is with them. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's who Jesus is. So if you're not a Christian, you need a shepherd. Because you're wandering. Your own life has led you astray. I know that from my life. that's, That's what I think helped convict me of my sin. I realized... The way I was living my life, I was not on the right path. And it hit me one day. You need a shepherd. And it's not me. It's not any other pastor. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who laid down his life. So you turn from your sin and turn to him and follow him because he will lead you with his voice. For Christians, I mean, lots of ways to apply. One way, again, this is who Jesus is. Another way, help your pastor. Help me if I'm your pastor. Hold him accountable to do what he's supposed to do biblically. Don't hold him accountable to do what he doesn't need to do biblically. I think that makes it very clear what a pastor is supposed to do. 
We submit to one another. And we do it together. We're all part of a flock of the chief shepherd so that when he appears, we'll receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. And let's pray. Well, Father, thank you because you are our shepherd. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You laid down your life for us. Thank you for leading us. Thank you for feeding us, for watering us, for grooming us, for changing us, for loving us. Jesus, help us to submit to one another so we can submit to you. God, I want to pray for myself because I want to be a good pastor. I want that crown of glory that does not fade away. Help me to change my heart. Help me to submit to you, to the people here. Help me to serve. God, help us to find a place where we can submit to and be a part of. If there's people listening who are not Christians, convict them of their sin. Show them how they are wandering and you are a good shepherd. And you will lead them beside the still waters and make them lie down in green pastures for the sake of your name, which is holy and mighty and precious. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.